welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hi, everyone. I welcome you back to our wonderful podcast. And as you know, I'm Maria Geffers, and this is my husband, Tom. Hello. And we're from Career and College Counselors, and we are very excited today. Uh, we have a great guest who is kind of um, a man after my own heart, if you will. And so it was important for us to kind of reach out to him and uh, get the knowledge, the kernels of knowledge that he has gotten in his varied uh, experiences. And he's going to tell us a little bit about that. So the question though today is, what is the future of college admissions tests? That's very big on parents' minds and students. And what is the importance of the why? And uh, Jack will really expound on that. So thank you so much for coming, Jack. I appreciate it so much. Maria, Tom, I'm happy to be with you. Thanks for asking me. Good. So would you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you do it? You know everything there is to know about Jack in five minutes, Tom? Five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> wow. Uh, where to begin? Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll start with how I, I classify myself because we're often asked, you know, what is it that you do? And, uh, you know, tell, tell us a bit about yourself. And a lot of folks immediately go to their current role, um, you know, who, the current role that they, they serve, the current employer that they serve. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about that. But um, I like to kind of step back and think, well, what have I been doing for all these years um, that I've been involved in the higher education profession. And basically, I refer to myself as a higher education evangelist. Uh, so regardless of, of my role and what institution I'm working for or what organization or what company, because I've been in and out of, uh, of institutions of higher ed, um, regardless of, of, of what I'm doing and what type of organization I'm working for, uh, there's one common denominator, and that is that I am advocating for higher education. I'm advocating for access and, e and equity in, in higher education. Um, and I really view the higher education experience as being much more than a college education. Um, I view the higher education experience as being those experiences past our high school years that really are formative. And a lot of that can occur on a college campus, of course. A lot of it can occur um, through an apprenticeship, through trade. Um, a lot of it can occur through active military service. Um, I've spent my career focused on the higher education institutional experience at colleges and universities and have seen what happens when kind of that veil is lifted, um, right? When we're 18 years old, 
we've had a finite amount of experience. And I think what higher education does, if it's done correctly, it really lifts the veil and allows individuals to become everything that they were truly meant to be. Great. And um, so this is a real passion for you. You can, I love your title where you said you're a higher education evangelist. I love that. That kind of brings a whole different tone uh, to, to your experience and your role. Uh, what was your aha moment when you decided that this was where you were going to go and pursue? Uh, many students, as you know, uh, and even adults flounder. You know, they, they go from uh, position to position and, you know, they're not focused. So what was your aha moment? Yeah, so really it occurred, I was fortunate, it occurred early for me. Um, I was working for a member of Congress when I had left, uh, when, I, when I graduated from uh, Ryder University uh, in central New Jersey. And uh, I was about a year in and I was facilitating I was doing many things, but one of the things that I was doing was facilitating the uh, Congressman's Higher Education Advisory Committee and his College Affordability Task Force. So basically what that meant was that I was actively engaged with the membership of, um, of those committees, and the membership was full of a bunch of higher education administrators and faculty. So in hearing them talk about their institutions, their experiences with students. They just spoke about it in such a glowing way. Um, and it, it seemed so clear to me that this was an experience that they were having that really gave them a great sense of purpose. Um, I often tell students that, you know, happiness is the balance between pleasure and purpose. And um, I didn't come up with that, by the way, Paul Dolan did, so I want to give credit. Um, but for me, I, I think I had a little bit of the, a good amount of purpose, but I, I don't necessarily know if I had figured out uh, how to bring the pleasure into that uh, in that role at the time. And uh, I decided to make a jump um, and, and mention to a few of them that, hey, if there are opportunities that come available uh, on your campuses and you know, you, you know me at this point, uh, let me know. And, and fortunately, I was able to, to, to land a job uh, in the admissions office uh, at my alma mater. So I went back to Ryder University and was there for uh, four and a half years until I moved on to, to other institutions uh, and, and my career advanced. Yeah, I'm that was my aha. That was your aha. One of the things that we always find, and we've been talking about that through our different podcasts, is what's important for students is to always to be stepping out, whether, and we're all students, let's, we're always learning, all of us, and we always should always be learning, but stepping out and having the confidence to step out is so important. Um, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and, uh, you know, moving on a little bit, um, you've had a lot of careers in the field, and can you describe the roles that you've had in interacting with your college students? Sure. So it's, you know, I guess to your point, Maria, my career experience in higher education was really all about stepping out because uh, it, it, I was fortunate that opportunities presented themselves and uh, I typically said yes when things were presented, even though I often thought, wow, I have no idea how to do this particular job, but I guess I'll learn. 
and 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 figure it out and find some mentors along the way that that will help me and and then of course uh, I always felt the responsibility to try to give back too. Um, but I started in 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 admission, so I was interacting with prospective students, and I was focused on undergraduate admissions. So these were of course in most cases high school age students, and basically talking with them about uh, the the value proposition uh, of of my institution at the time, which was Ryder University to start. And then I had a, a wonderful experience to shift gears a little bit and work with uh, an adult population that was changing careers. So going back to school to retrain and reskill. Uh, and I did that work at Drexel University. And ultimately I decided that I really liked working with that population because you know when you're an adult and you're going back to school, this is no longer kind of a, a rite of passage, right? Education in this case is intentional. You're doing it because you need to shift careers or uh, advance in your career. So you need a particular set of knowledge or skills um, or to land that job that you've always wanted. So I really enjoyed working with those folks that for whatever reason, uh, life was bringing them back to higher ed, um, in some cases to go on to, to grab a graduate degree, uh, or in some cases just experiencing the bachelor's education for the very first time later in life. Mm -hmm. And I found those stories to be really compelling. I spent a lot of time um, after, after Drexel uh, in graduate education. So um, I went to Philadelphia University, which ultimately merged with Thomas Jefferson University, and began doing a lot of work in, in graduate uh, studies uh, to the point where I was asked ultimately to become associate dean of, of graduate studies, which was an academic appointment. And that was when I shifted out of uh, enrollment management and admissions work and went into uh, more of what you would expect when you think about a traditional faculty and academic administrator role. And that was when I started teaching. And uh, so, so while I was working with a graduate population, uh, in terms of my administrative duties, I was uh, educating undergraduates uh, and teaching teaching courses, um, and and that really has been uh, th those have been my roles where I've been interacting with uh, with students. And the last thing I'll say about that um, is that one of the things that makes working on a college campus so wonderful is that there is just such hope and promise. Students. Uh, for the most part, uh, have are, are not jaded. <laughs> right? they, their life has kind of uh, unfolded in ways that have brought them to a university and college campus, and they're feeling pretty good about it. Uh, sky's the limit in terms of what they feel they can achieve, and that that is incredibly um, uh, it's addictive to be around. Frankly, uh, it keeps us all young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. You're a true <laughs> teacher at heart. Um, you've studied and taught Simon Sinek's uh, Golden Circle concept and the idea of starting with the why. And you've integrated that into your work wherever you've gone. So why is this uh, concept so important to you? And why is this, should this be important to the student and the uh, parent as they're looking at colleges? You know, Simon Sinek's work, which if, if anyone has not seen it, you can, you can, of course, get the book, start, Starting With Why, Start With Why uh, by Simon Sinek, or you can hop on YouTube and watch some of his TED Talks. Uh, the concept of, of starting with why is, is very simple, and he gives a very 
uh, simple graphic representation of something called the golden circle, which has Y right at the center. Um, so I won't, I won't go into too much detail explaining the concept, uh, but what I will say is that at its core, um, while he initially is using it to basically talk about effective marketing strategy, um, it's evolved over time. And what I found to be really striking about it was that at its core, uh, it is focused on this understanding of one's essence, um, understanding uh, one's purpose. Um, he applies it to business. So he'll say, you know, as an organization, you know, why do you exist? And often people think, especially in America, <laughs> that we exist to make money, right? Uh, we're a business. Uh, well, profit is a result. Um, if you're profitable as, a, as an organization, as a company, then that means you're solving people's problems. So what problems are you solving? Why do you solve those problems? And answering those questions really gets at the core as to why that organization exists. And we also have personal whys. Um, you know, for, for, for me, I have, uh, they change over time. They can change over time, certainly, but uh, you're able to peel back the layers of who you are as an individual and what's important to you to really understand what is critical in, uh, in knowing about oneself so that oneself can be indeed uh, successful and happy. And I, I kind of use those terms, by the way, success and happiness interchangeably. Um, it's not easy to know one's why. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, sometimes, it takes a lot of self-reflection and sometimes requires us to look at aspects of ourselves that we might not necessarily want to look at all the time. Uh, but I think it's really, really important. And it's really important, I think, for students to begin to wrestle with this, with this concept as they're trying to put their best foot forward uh, to university admissions offices, um, because institutions very much do want to get beyond what's in the applicant file in terms of the quantitative measures, your GPA, your SAT, your ACT scores, uh, how many AP courses you've taken. True admissions professionals really want to get at uh, who is this person? How can they benefit from their experience here? But how can we also benefit from what they will bring to our campus? Um, so it's a really important concept uh, and, and one I've, I've tried to instill in, in really a, a every place I've gone. Good, thank you. Well, I know your history uh, had to do a lot with marketing uh, for colleges to get uh, students in the seat uh, related to what you just said <clears throat> and uh, and you know in any business I guess that's so important and um, I was wondering you know what do you think their biggest problem was it, to do that if you had to tell them like one thing that the college should do to get more people in the seats what do you think that might be <clears throat> well I would say know your why because I think many institutions do not <laughs> so um, so know your why and be authentic in its communication. Um, I think that there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of enrollment management professionals and university marketers that, um, that are working to market the brand. Um, and that's fine and understandable, but students and, and, and family members 
want to really walk away with an understanding of what makes that institution special, unique, um, and how will that specialness and that uniqueness benefit uh, my son or daughter or benefit me as a prospective student. Um, so I, I would I encourage all of my uh, enrollment management and university marketing colleagues uh, to really understand uh, what makes your institution special and unique uh, and be authentic in that communication. You know, it doesn't, I think one of the things that we learned over this past year is it doesn't require a glossy view book to communicate authentic, authentically. Uh, one can just, you know, grab their cell phone and record a video of a student talking about their experience and that authenticity, uh, you know, even though it's not flashy and, and wonderfully produced, that authenticity can go a long way in really communicating and making that connection with a prospective student and their family. That reminded me of uh, probably two years ago before COVID, obviously, we went to a uh, seminar down in Lehigh Valley for the colleges in, in the general area. And uh, there was you know a handful of them on the dais uh, taking questions and, and kind of selling their college. Most of them were small private colleges, Moravian, Muhlenberg, um, and there was a state college in there as well, which was a little different. Mm. And um, the state college was, was selling the idea that we have to you know, raise tuition, get more money so we can build a lazy river, <clears throat> you know, in addition to our rock wall. You know, and, and everybody on the dais is, is, is looking down the dais <laughs> and says, you know, I, I, we all wish we had that kind of money, but we're just trying to, you know, get the right courses and get the, you know, the, the best students in our school. But there was no problem with, with this uh, president of the college saying yeah, that. Yeah. And we walked out looking at each other. You know, what are they selling? A, a resort? <clears throat> and they're selling a, a school, you know? So I, I don't know if that's changed in the last two years. Probably has to some degree, but... Do you, do you see that, you know, happening at the schools? Are they pulling back on that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I do see it happening. In fact, I had a whole conversation, uh, I feel like, a, a, on another podcast at, at one point about this topic. We, we refer to it as the resortification of higher education. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the things that when you take a look at the, the increases in tuition uh, over, over the years, um, and, and, and ask that question, why has this happened? There are a number of factors that can't be boiled down to just one simple thing, um, but certainly the, the competition among institutions to have the, the best residence halls and the best culinary options and uh, you know the, the, the lazy river. Um, and I, I've, I've seen, seen quite a bit in terms of what institutions have, have tried to create to attract students and, um, you know, I, I mean, I just think that it's, it, it doesn't connect with the mission of the institution. Um, no one has in their mission. Our mission is to provide the best recreational experience for our, stu for our <laughs> students. Um, so, you know, I, I would encourage institutions to, uh, to, to try to scale back a little bit on, on some of that. Um, you know, at the same time, these are market forces at work. There are students who are clamoring for those types of amenities right. uh, and are willing to pay for those types of amenities. So, all right. I, well, I, had, I had to ask our daughter 
what a lazy river was. I had never heard of it before. Yeah, she had to explain it to us. But, you know, when we talk to uh, parents and students and on our Facebook and, and such, we always try to, you know, send a message, don't go to a school because, you know, you like their basketball team or their football team, you know, don't go for the party. And we, we went down to Texas uh, I don't know, two years ago and we visited Baylor University. And we happened to go the same weekend of uh, March Madness. <laughs> and, uh, and we're in Texas on the, the river walk there. And it was Villanova happened to be in the, in the finals. I think they won that year. And there was a million kids there partying and so forth. <laughs> so I said, I guess that message is hard to sell. But, you know, uh, Penn State is, is, of course, in, yeah. in Pennsylvania is big for that. And Villanova obviously is as well. But, you know, <laughs> I guess it's related to the other question is how do we, you know, tell parents, take us, you know, a second, third look at these, these schools, that are, you know, big in sports, unless you put playing in the field, you know, it's going to last for a few months. You're going to have a party, you're going to have a good time, but then, you know, you have to get back to the business, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think it's, um, you know, everyone is going to have something that's unique about what it is that they're they're looking for i think sometimes what gets lost in in translation here is really um having the conversation with the prospective student um so if i'm a if i'm a, a dad and I'm, I'm talking to my son or daughter who's about to go off uh, to college and is looking at institutions you know really try to find out what what they know about what they should even be looking for um you know i mean we, we tend to assume, I think, a lot that guidance counselors are, are providing this uh, education to, uh, to students in high school. And sure, there are presentations that counselors give in schools that talk about, you know, here's how you go through a college search process, and here's what you, you might want to look for. Um, but there really isn't this education that is provided um, that that talks about really what this experience is going to be like over the course of the next four years or so. And, and students have no frame of reference. That's the right. only frame of reference of school that they have is what they've experienced uh, up to this point in their high school years. So you know, I think really trying to communicate and educate uh, students about what college is all about what that experience will be like, um, you know, which is why I think the work that uh, that you, Marie, and you, Tom, are doing is really important. Uh, and having conversations like this, I think, really does uh, does advance the conversation in important ways. Mm -hmm. um, talking about you know uh, occupations or careers, um, you know, back in two thousand and eight, you remember the, the recession. They had occupied Wall Street and it was all over the country. Don't go to school, don't go to college, it's not worth it. You know, we can't pay our, our, our loans back. And that lasted for a few years until they got out of that recession. But now I think the same thing is kind of happening with different careers. Uh, we're gonna be talking to a professor uh, next week about theater and they took a big hit. You know, we, we know people graduating with uh, a theater degree and she doesn't know what she's gonna do. She's gonna be waitressing. But basically, you know, I had dreams of, you know, being on the stage or writing or directing or acting. So that, you know, that career is going to take a while to come back. <laughs> and and uh, 
college higher ed and education in general, I think it's taken a big hit. You know, the teachers now are taking a very, a lot of bad news about, you know, masks and opening schools and who wants to be a teacher. And higher ed, I think, you know, professors aren't what they used to be in, in, in the mind of the public, you know, and a lot of people become adjunct professors, right. you know, and that seems to be, you know, at least in the near future. Do you see that changing at all for like, uh, especially higher ed? I guess that's, that's your uh, specialty. You see that happening or changing for the better? Well, I think, I think people right now have a very complicated relationship with higher education. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's going to get less complicated. Um, I do think, though, that there was a real shakeup over the course of the last 15 months um, at institutions that was really important, um, something that really needed to happen. You know, a lot of institutions over the, the during this pandemic were faced with their doors closing um, and have had to take enormous risks to keep their doors open. Um, and some, unfortunately, just weren't able to do it and, and have have closed. You even see right now the the uh, proposed uh, mergers of institutions at the Pennsylvania state system, part of the Pashi, Pashi system. Um, so I think that institutions have learned, I hope, uh, and are taking steps to really return to the core of their mission. Um, there are institutions that are having conversations they've never really had before as it relates to who can afford to attend this university or this college. How are we recruiting? Are the recruitment practices that we have equitable? Um, are we providing enough opportunity for students of varying socioeconomic classes uh, to be able to enroll here and not be saddled with a debt burden that uh, will will really prevent one from um, achieving all that we want folks to achieve with a college degree, becoming productive members of society and achieving career success and of course personal and uh, family success. There are certain advantages to uh, you know as as an associate faculty member as a as an adjunct faculty member myself i think there are certain advantages that adjunct faculty can bring into the classroom because typically they're active in industry or active in the field and that can be unique um, and, and of value but if institutions are just hiring adjunct faculty because they don't want to support uh, professor salaries uh, then i think it's time to take a, a hard look back at the mission um, you know everything that institutions do should be connected to their mission. Um, their why. Their why. Exactly why? right. Exactly right. Why? Um, so, so I encourage. I encourage that certainly. I have one question for you, and um, this is going to be very relevant to our students and parents. With test optional being thrown around and and kind of. Uh, you know, we, test optional. Oh, kids, we don't have to take the test. How do you see that? How do you see that impacting admissions? And of course, that goes down to the PSATs, and then it goes down. You know, it even goes to the um, the AP courses. What do you see uh, the future of all of those tests? I mean, we always tell our students to take 
the SAT, the ACT, and then take the one that's best for you, the highest score. We always encourage our students to do that because it, as Tom always says, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it and then be you know, scurrying all over the place. Um, can you kind of give your prediction, if you will, what are your gut feelings on that? Maria, this reminds me of, I was asked to give my 2020 predictions toward the end of 2019. And it was, it, it was a published document. I'm sure it exists somewhere out on the internet. And it, was, it was called Jack Klett's 2020 Vision. And obviously everything in it was completely 100% wrong. Um, but uh, so I try to steer clear of predictions these days, but, but I, I can't help but uh, wade, into, wade into this one. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, there are many reasons why we're seeing um, criticism about, about testing, uh, both the undergraduate and, and graduate level, um, and, and many reasons why we have institutions that have either decided to temporarily be optional or permanently become optional. Um, and, you know, some of that had to do simply with a, um, with, with access to testing centers when, when COVID hit and obviously, uh, uh, quarantining was happening. And, um, so institutions that provide organizations that provide assessments, they needed to retool, right. They needed to provide, um, uh, security for, uh, at home testing, uh, online proctoring. Um, and, and we've seen some of that and, and. Uh, a lot of that has been really nice innovations that seem to be somewhat permanent. Um, at, for instance, with the GRE at home test uh, being permanent now, as, as an example. Um, but you know, my my, my recommendation to my college, uh, my enrollment management colleagues is to take a breath. <laughs> um, I, I think that that the the role of assessments and testing. Um, is a very uh, complicated one, and it's one we really need to think through and study before just making universal proclamations. Um, you know, testing originally began um, as a way to open doors, as a way to lev uh, level the playing field. Um, you know, there was a time when higher education was accessible only to wealthy individuals or for people who uh, came from a family that was well known, and they happened to have that last name. The idea of the assessment was to provide um, anonymous, quantitative um, uh, assessments of of one's cognitive abilities, uh, and to use that as as a way to get a door open to them that otherwise would have remained closed. Um, so I think that there are a number of things we need to consider when we're removing the requirement. Um, and we have to think about what does admission and candidate evaluation look like when you are taking quantitative data um, and choosing not to, to look at it and have it be part of the evaluation. You know, I also think that institutions are somewhat responsible for this because it the way in which institutions are ranked incentivizes admitting folks who have higher scores. Um, and that has produced an environment that incentivizes the use of cut scores and screening applications out 
as opposed to screening applicants out, as opposed to looking for ways to screen applicants into your, to your process. Uh, there is no assessment organization worth their salt that would say you should be using scores as cut scores. Um, so there's a lot here to unpack. Um, I, I don't necessarily know where this goes um, in terms of this trend, uh, though I, I do think that there is going to be a lot that is studied about what test optional meant for enrollment and did it result in the, um, uh, in the outcomes that many are hoping that it will. My sense is that there's a lot more going into how candidates are evaluated that is um, that, that needs to be examined before we're going to end up with any uh, a real decision on whether or not what's happening now um, is something that should be uh, applauded or something that should be uh, rejected. So we're going to have to see how it plays out. I'm sorry, that wasn't probably the best it's prediction. But, it's education. Um, well, I, I, mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if someone bumps into you in the hardware store or on the grocery uh, line and say, hey, Jack, should my son or daughter take that test coming up this summer? And your, your answer would be? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. That's, that's what we want to know. Can, well, I you know. can I elaborate one more thing about it? I would say yes, because the test, uh, regardless of who you are, the test will reveal where you are strong and where you need to uh, have a greater degree of education. And for, for enrollment professionals, if using it correctly, the scores really do let you know who will benefit from extra support. And that is our role. We're supposed to understand the students that we're admitting and who's going to, who, who will need additional support to be successful uh, at our institution. So yes, take the test. But, but, <laughs> but <laughs> and we're, we're gonna be having to, uh, end our conversation in a few minutes. Is there anything that you would like to add to our conversation, our topic? Anything we missed. Right, anything that we might've missed that you- I, want I, I would just like to, to, to say that um, one of the things that was really fascinating to me was when I, I was asked to, to give presentations to student leaders about success um, and that was when I uncovered that students in college had, a, had an idea of what their degree was going to bring them. Um, and that there was a disconnect between that idea and what actually they valued as individuals. And those values, of course, align with those things that will make them happy. So one of the things that became really apparent was this idea that there was a disconnect between someone pursuing their definition of success, which very much aligned with the societal definition of success of wealth and influence and fame, uh, that there was a disconnect between that idea and what students really valued in their own lives. So, um, and this gets back to that idea of knowing oneself and knowing your why. Uh, understand what you value, 
my, my recommendation to students, understand what you value, discover what you value, and pursue those things relentlessly because that will provide you with happiness. And that really is the definition of success. Um, that's it. Well, I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah. Well, well said. And we, we, we say the same thing to everybody right. we speak to. Right. But, uh, great message. Right. Success is, is means sh as a parent, you want your child always to be happy. Right. And that's, that's what you want. And uh, the values are very, you know, very important that you need to identify as well. Um, is there any, you have a podcast, would you like to tell our, our viewers, our, our listeners as to where they can find your podcast that, you know, if you captured their fancy, if you will, and you've really connected, where can they get more of you, Jack? <laughs> sure. Well, uh, uh, folks can learn my musings on all things higher ed through an archived podcast called The Buzz, the podcast for higher ed. And that was a podcast that I co-hosted for a couple years. So that I think there's a, a good 24 episodes or so of relevant topics in higher education, uh, many of which involve enrollment management, but all kinds of topic areas we, we cover for higher ed. Um, and and just wherever you get your podcast, do a search for the buzz and you'll be able to find those, those archived episodes. Um, on a side note, my, my I'm still politically passionate. Um, so I do have a podcast called For the Public, and that is a podcast that focuses on the good work of local government and our local citizen servants. Um, and I, of course, given where I live, I focus on Southern New Jersey. So um, you can just go to forthepublicpod.com or search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Great. But thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate absolutely, it. Absolutely. Well, you're most welcome. And you are a higher education evangelist. Yes. And thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. And this is Tom and Maria saying goodbye. And thank you all for listening today. Thank you.